Welcome to the Carl Bart Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Tuttle. And my guest today is Dr. Richard Burnett. Dr. Burnett is the Executive Director and Managing Editor at Theology Matters. Uh, he has a PhD from Princeton and is the author of Carl Bart's Theological Exegesis, The Hermeneutical Principles of the Roman Brief Period. Dr. Burnett, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Corey. Yeah, yeah. Any any friend of um, of Adam Nieder is a friend of mine. So <laughs> you were immediately on the list. Good. I'm glad to hear that. How did you guys get connected? Uh, was that it? Were you guys at Princeton at the same time? No, actually, I I think no. I don't think so. Um, I think we actually overlapped in our undergrad. Well, we went to the same college, King College in Tennessee. Hmm. And uh, but he was not. In, he was younger than I am. And uh, uh, and I don't know where uh, we. Uh, I remember writing a blurb for his first book, and uh, but just have kept in contact. Uh, tried to keep in contact. I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. Um, mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, well, as I said, you you went to Princeton. Um, what came first, Princeton or Bart? How how did that all come together? Oh well, no, I was reading Bart. Uh, pretty early in college. Nice. Uh, yeah. Great. Yeah. And how did that, uh, I mean, it turned into this book, obviously, at the, at the very end of everything. What was the process of um, reading BART and then deciding you want to like do intense scholarship on BART? Well, uh, Corey, I started, I, I started hearing uh, uh, sermons by uh, one thing I heard sermons by Earl Palmer. I don't know if you've heard of Earl. Mm-hmm. He's out in, uh, he, I guess he's out in Seattle. He's out in Seattle now, but he was uh, a, 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 a fellow who knew a, bit, a good bit about Bart and he, uh, in, Bart would come up in his sermons and I, be, I had begun to read Bart. I'd heard about Bart in, you know, in my youth. And, uh, and so I, I, I just started reading him and uh, on my own. Uh, but I was very interested in New Testament, uh, in the New Testament and uh, in college, and I wanted to be a New Testament scholar. Hmm. And uh, I had two wonderful uh, professors in college, uh, one in Old Testament, one in New Testament, who prepared me. Uh, uh, and, and they introduced uh, historical criticism in a way that uh, I just was emboldened by. I mean, I thought it was the, I mean, I, I came out of college thinking it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. It was, uh, real quick, what, what do you mean by historical criticism, I, I guess? Well, uh, it's the idea that uh, words uh, have a historical uh, provenance or etymology or sure. background. And uh, so when you, uh, I mean, I guess Bart talks about fact that uh, there's an elasticity of words and and uh, and you measure them you measure them by what could be said and by what is said of course and mm-hmm. you do that by philological studies by all kinds of grammatical uh, studies and, and history is no uh, is part of that uh, mm-hmm. finding out the historical context and so uh you know, that just, uh, so that I, I can give you more on that in terms of what historical criticism is. I've written stuff on this, but I mean, that's, it's when you come to a text, you want to establish what is there. 
-hmm. And that, uh, and, and uh, so words have um, connotations that are, come from different cultures and times, and uh, those have to be weighed when you're considering what a word means. And so even more so when you, in, in a particular context of a, of a sentence, in a chapter, in a book, in a, by an author, all these types of questions come. Uh, but I just thought, I guess back to the question, I mean, I, I was just found that a wonderful tool. And I was, uh, it, I felt uh, very, uh, I was just enamored by it. And, and, but, and when I, and I had, I took a lot of Greek in college and so I went to seminary and uh, I didn't have to take the intro classes because I had a lot of that. And, uh, but I, I think my first New Testament was a class on the Dead Sea Scrolls with uh, hmm. Jim Charlesworth and who was a, you know, fascinating guy. I mean, he just, he was a guy who really cared about history and well, and archeology. span And, and so I loved studying that, but I, and I loved my experience at Princeton. I just had a wonderful experience. Hmm. Um, but I didn't find many people in the New Testament department at that time who cared as much about theology. And so I'm reading Bart all this time. Hmm. And, uh, and then um, I heard a guy by the name of Hans Fry come and he, he was at Yale and he gave a lecture and uh, I was intrigued by him and what he had to say. He wrote a very important book that took me so long to read called the eclipse of biblical narrative and that just made a deep impression on me uh, but uh you know I, in fact i think i applied to the phd program the first time I, in the new testament department but they didn't want me uh so i went on and did in fact i went i ended up study i studied in germany and i came and i was a pastor for a while and then i'm reading bart all the time uh and then I went to Yale for a year to uh, to work, actually, to find out more about Hans Fry. And so that's when I, uh, and I knew I wanted to do something on, uh, probably on Bart. And so that's when it sort of crystallized. And, I, then, and then I fell, I mean, the Lord's providence. I, I, uh, I didn't know Bruce McCormick. And uh, I, I think I had seen him maybe when I was a, when a, a master's student, when he was probably finishing up or coming in and out or something in it uh and in, in finishing his doctoral program at, or maybe he had already finished and was just i don't know i i remember seeing him he's a big very big guy mm -hmm. uh but i didn't know him but uh he took me on as he went as a doctor father as a i was a, his student as he was my supervisor and uh he was a fantastic supervisor yeah he just said uh, I'm not that in, I'm not all that interested in this topic, but so you're going to have to prove your case. And, uh, and and he was had this remarkable objectivity about it uh, and, and pushed me into to uh, and it was just a I'm very grateful. For That's him. great. Yeah, um, I've, I've had quite a few conversations with Adam about uh, about Bruce and he has the same yeah. same things to say about his time yeah. with him. Yeah. Um, just so embedded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so great. Um, well, let's jump into your book a little bit. I, I mentioned this off air, but I can't remember the last time I've been this excited to ask questions because I have so many um, just personal questions, not just like let's outline the book, but I, I'm so new to Bart and this is so outside of my wheelhouse. Um, uh, so outside of the context, the church context I was raised, the 
the hermeneutical method that I was kind of raised in a, as a Christian in. Um, so I'm I'm really eager to learn. Um, so I wanted to start though uh, with sort of the historical bits of just understanding the setting of Bart's uh, theological exegesis, sort of his break with liberalism, that sort of thing. Um, so I. I mean, you mentioned it several times in the book, but there's really this, this is a massive event uh, when Karl Barth breaks from theological liberalism. Um, And I wanted to start off by just, I mean, I feel like, especially being an American in the West in 2021, uh, I feel like that is a junk drawer term, liberalism. (laughs) It could mean uh, quite a few things, I guess, and depending on who you are. Um, and I imagine that it is uh, quite a different context 100 years ago. Um, so what what is theological liberalism? Um, so sort of what are the ideas that kind of make up theological liberalism? Who are the main voices? What What's going on? And, and then we'll get into like what Bart actually breaks away from where the disagreements lie. Um, yeah. You know, it's a it's a great uh, it's a huge concept, and uh, and it has different nuances. Um, uh, I mean, and it's a rich tradition in terms of in the German and uh, experience. And then and, and then I don't know if you know the author Gary Dorian has written a massive three volume work on uh, the making of of uh, American. I forget the title, but it's the making of. Uh, liberalism in American, American context. I forget the title, but uh, so it takes place on different on different soil uh, and, and more in America from the ground up rather than the top down. Dorian claims. I think he's right. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's hard to to separate these. I mean, the concept of liberalism is a primary one in the Enlightenment. I mean, it's, we're talking about the human spirit and freeing the human spirit uh, and uh, and that's a good, and that was considered a good thing. And, and, and you know, it has a, you talked about, <laughs> you talked about it shifting the term uh, in context. I mean, it had, you know, politically, I mean, it has that same kind of, it changes over time. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. 200 years ago, if you thought that every citizen should have the right to uh, uh, bear arms, you were considered a liberal, you know, uh, that's not the case today. You know, that's, uh, so th- there's a fluidity about that, and uh, and uh, and then who's a liberal today on the on American university campuses? I mean, uh, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in theological liberalism, I mean, often is attributed to uh, Friedrich Schleimacher, who uh, and there's antecedents to his work and uh, life that produce this effort to liberate. Uh, the human spirit from uh, dogma uh, would be uh, one and, and tradition that, and uh, other uh, other things that would uh, external or uh, heteronymous forms of authority uh, and illegitimate oftentimes uh, to free the human spirit. So that's, that's what it, uh, I mean, that's the best sense of it. Mm. Um, Hmm, that's great. But, uh, I mean, but to do that, uh, other, you know, to, in order to overcome that, then you have there's certain things that develop, and so, um, in order to uh, 
and, and, and I guess what happens in the 19th century at the end of it in the last half is the formation of something called historicism and then psychologism. Mm -hmm. And those are sort of the great tools of uh, the tools to liberate the self from uh, the dogma and the, uh, the, the false claims, the, uh, the heteronymous claims of authority. So you want to, uh, in, tr in, in trying to determine the freedom of the human spirit, you, you, you investigate the historical context and then also the psychological context of, and so what that means is, is that you understand that an author is shaped by certain historical circumstances and then, of course, the psychological aspect of that as well, psychological uh, uh, dynamics hmm. of an author, for example. I think I'm starting to get it. This is, this is good. I'm, I'm glad that we're doing this. Um, okay, so let's just say for practical purposes, theological liberal person living in the early 20th century opens Romans 1 and starts reading Romans 1, just reading the Bible by themselves. What, what is going through their mind? What's sort of the kind of the things to look out for? I'm trying to bake, basically make like a, here's what Schleiermacher would do and here's what Bart started to do and what, what, where they separated. Um, so like the basic principles of hermeneutics on let's say like any, any, any text, I guess. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Schleiermacher is an enormously sophisticated and, mm -hmm. and Bart recognized, I mean, Bart is, uh, you know, and a very astute student of Schleimacher. That's, I mean, he, I mean, he, he says he can swear no higher at one point than to say the phrase or say the name Daniel Friedrich Ernst Schleimacher. So he knows Schleimacher, and, and he also knows that. I mean, Schleimacher writes a hermeneutic, and it's very powerful, and it it wants to uh, uh, take into account. The historicity and the psychological aspects of an author, and so he has a very highly sophisticated way of determining that, and uh, and and Bart realizes that, and he he picks up on this uh, very clearly. But the goal of Schleimacher's hermeneutics is to understand the author better than he understood himself. That's a phrase. Now, mm -hmm. that phrase is probably. I don't, I don't, we, it's hard to see where, who first came up with that phrase, but that, that is the goal of Schleimacher's hermeneutics. And so what does that mean uh, when you say, so somebody picks up, I mean, so when some, by the time it gets to the ninth, end of the 19th century, people are using this and, and very, I, I, Bart would say, uh, would, would say very reductionistic ways. Uh, you, so you, somebody, you know, so they read Paul in Romans one and, they say, well, this is just uh, as, uh, this is just his late Judaistic thinking or his uh, Hellenistic background speaking. He's bringing this critique. They're just they they look for antecedents mm -hmm. and historical antecedents that would explain why Paul said what he said. Or mm -hmm. and and then the psychological aspects of this is what sort of overwhelmed it. That became really, uh, that took place much earlier in Europe in, in the, among the Swiss and the Germans than it did in America. So 
it's you're putting him on the couch and saying, oh, you know, where, you know, how, why are you saying this? And uh, what are the sort of uh, psychological backgrounds? You know, was it your bad relationship with your father or your split with your Jewish community? You know, was it a midlife crisis? What gave rise to this? I mean, and what, what's important, of course, to Paul or to Bart is trying to explain his conversion, you know, his Damascus Rose experience, who he saw his, these, so many uh, biblical scholars trying to explain Paul's conversion by uh, all these psychological theories, and uh, he wasn't buying it. He just he just couldn't buy it anymore. Uh, that was one thing. That way of reading the Bible, breaking everything down to just history and psychology, I guess. Did it? Uh, how did it affect like practical? Um, Bible reading for, I guess, devotion or spirituality, something that like would apply to me today. Because it sounds like it's very much like just pick apart the text and pick apart the text and pick apart the text. It, um, is there any way that that process would relate to, okay, well, now that I've picked apart the text, here's how that would apply to me in my context to be faithful to Christ or anything like that? Is that, I don't know how that works. Well, I mean, uh you know, for Bart, he just saw the, these tools of of historicism and psychologism as means of uh, avoiding what the text was actually saying, what Paul was saying. Hmm. Uh, and he, th so he saw it as being uh, reductionistic. Yeah. And, and that's why he was, you know, he said, I, I want the historical critics to be more critical, uh, not less. I want, you know, I, you know, he talks about wanting to. Uh, for him, criticism is 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 being uh, is, is being self-critical. It's being uh, he wants to be able to, uh, you know, weigh these words and and all and but he wants to do so in light of the subject matter and he wants to take uh, Paul's words or any author for that matter uh, as seriously as he would take his own with the presupposition that that author may tell me something I did not know, but could know if I took his or her words as seriously as I took my own. So it's really about, and see, this is another thing about the, the liberalism, it, it, the, what happens to language. Language becomes primarily expressive. So uh, when someone says something, when words are put out there, you the, what they really uh, you really got what you got to get at is what's the psychological state or emotional state of the person when they said it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, instead of pointing, following the direction in which those words point and looking at it and thinking there might be something that author may be pointing to something that I, you know, I could see if I looked uh, in the same direction. But instead, you look at the author and say, you know, he must have been having a bad day. You know, he must have had some, you know, something must have happened to him to want to say that, that we have to figure out that, you know, and uh, it's not that those things may happen. But I mean, if you if that's the primary thing that you instead of looking in the direction where the words point, then Bart sees that as uh, profoundly loveless. Hmm. Thank you for that. Um, so when Bart breaks from this theological liberalism, what is the sort of defining event? Is it just the publishing of the first Romans volume? Um, is there any sort of like, this is the moment where he showed up and said, I'm not following this this way anymore. I'm going 
this other way. Um, how did that work? Well, I mean, Bart was a thoroughgoing, committed liberal, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and his father was very worried about it, and so tried to send him to the to tubing in to study under Schlatter. He and Bart wanted to study under uh, Hermann Wilhelm Hermann at Marburg, and finally got there, and he said, "I forgot the phrase he used." He said something like "My Zion." He just he had just loved Hermann, who said he was the theological teacher of my. Uh, student years and so he 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 became he just read Schleimacher he imbibed him through every pore and uh and and then he went to, to become a pastor uh at first he was a vicar, vicar uh, uh in uh in Geneva hmm. and he, he made the mistake of reading Calvin's Institutes while he was there and that was sort of a time bomb that went off later uh slowly it, it went off and uh, but he was you know then when he his first pastor it was a little industrial village of switzerland called soffenville and it was a and he got involved he was thoroughly involved in the uh uh in socialism in religious socialism and he uh, was a committed uh religious socialist and uh and uh now that so the so you talk about an event i mean everybody talks about the event of uh when there was a in 1914 93 intellectuals german intellectuals his teachers almost all of them uh, had signed this document called the manifesto of 93 intellectuals that was supporting the war policy of of kaiser wilhelm the second and uh when he saw that when bart heard about that it was just devastating i mean it just rocked his world he said uh what did he say he he talked about it uh just being a cataclysmic event mm-hmm. And uh, and because he, he knew that it was wrapped up in their own cultural Protestantism, and uh, but that's really not that's what people talk about. But the real the real crisis that that is very clear in in what he says in a number of places is is the crisis of preaching. Mm-hmm. He talked about the fact that he said I ha- I know what it means. He says this in the second Roman brief edition of uh, the preface. I know what it means to get in the pulpit, have to get in the pulpit day in and day out, week after week, and being obliged to understand and explain and not having anything except this famous respect for history that I got from the universities. He said, you know, I'm, I'm in other words, I'm looking at people and their real needs and their real crises, and I'm, and I'm obliged to preach and to understand and explain the word of God. And, and he said, and so he said, my, the textual basis of my sermons became more and more problematic. In other words, he was running dry and it was a real, and so that's when he and uh, Edward Tornison, his best friend decided they would go and uh, he, uh, Tornison would go off and study uh, John's gospel and, and Bart decided he was study Paul. And then, and then what happened was, uh, and the big discovery was this new world of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, uh... That was, I think, my first introduction to reading Bart was was that essay, um, "The Strange New World of the Bible," and I, it's a great way to start. <laughs> um, that's great, thank you. Um, so, so I'm wondering, you mentioned that the the theological liberalism, the way of reading the Bible, is to uh, understand the author better than they understand themselves through history and uh, psychology. Um, I wanted to kind of see. How, how that relates to 
In the, in the preface of, of the Romans commentary, Bart writes about knowing Paul so well that they can kind of speak in each other's place. He says, I almost forget I'm not the author. That's yeah. the quote. <laughs> um, how does, what's the difference there? One seems that I know the author better than they know themselves. And one says, I almost forget I'm not the author when I talk. What's almost. the difference? Almost. Almost. You know, almost, you know right. so he's, he is, he's wanting to affirm uh, this idea of participating and getting in and in, in, uh, uh, this this whole emphasis of Schleimacher, he's you know he, he affirms that, but it's not good enough. It's still not looking. It's not pointing in the direction. He wants to still, nevertheless, follow the words in the direction in which they point. And you see, he's coming over, Bart is trying to overcome, and you see this, that's what I do in my book, is this whole tradition that I call, I guess, I don't know if it's, others have called it that, but it's called the, an empathetic approach to interpretation, the empathetic tradition of interpretation. This whole idea of getting in the author's heads and the process by which people do this, uh, is very, it's a science, uh, and Bart is well aware of this. But he sees that, uh, here's an explosive claim uh, that empathy can uh, empathy can be a real problem. It can be a real means of reducing. I don't I can reduce an author to their context. I don't mm -hmm. have to listen to the author because if I'm what, where the author's words point, I can just get into the author's skin or head and I can then feel what this author is saying. And because of uh, by my own empathetic uh, spirit, and then uh, and so Paul, I mean, so Bart is saying, you know, this is a this is a cruel. This can be very cruel to mm -hmm. people. You know, I mean, tell you know, I th was who was it? Saul Bellow who says something like this. He said, "Tell me where you're from, and I'll tell you who you are." That's the mantra of modernism. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, if I can reduce you to your context if I can. You just tell me enough, of, you know, where you're from or anything like that. And then I don't have to listen to you anymore. Uh, empathy can be very dangerous that way. And, Bart, and Bart knows this. And the main thing is, this is the big thing, is that it's no substitute for the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And that's uh, that's the and that's what Bart discovers. And of course back to Calvin, that's what he understands, that's what he appreciates so much about Calvin. In fact, in his second preface to the Romans commentary, he talks about Calvin, how much, how superior Calvin is, because Calvin does, he uses the tools, he wants to use the tools of, of trying to find out what is there, what's established in the text, and these, this crust of unfamiliarity we, that we all, I mean, we're, we are, I mean, there is this distance, we have to understand and we have to work to understand what a, an author 2000 years ago said or even sometimes two years ago or five years ago uh so there is that need but calvin is patient he's diligent he wants to uh uh and he doesn't try to simply explain things away by you know historical or uh psychological antecedents that he that may be there it's not so it's not that, you know, the psychological states and historical uh, circumstances don't have an influence, but when they become uh, exhaustive and they, they mean they, they, they are the means by which I can simply uh, explain what an author may say without paying attention to what the author is talking about. Well, that's a problem for Barr.
Yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense. Um, so when it comes to actually reading the Bible uh, for Bart, what is the goal, and uh, what does it mean to enter into the meaning of the Bible? That famous that phrase in from a brief. Well, well, I mean, his goal is to understand what the author says. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 sim- It's that simple. Uh, but to do that. Uh, he wants to enter in to uh, the subject matter. Mm. He wants to try to to pay attention to what the author is trying to say, what they're writing about, and uh, letting. And and so, you know, this is this is really important. Uh, this participatory aspect of Bart when he we you know what because he what what he wants to do is uh, join in the author and really believe that the author might tell me something I don't know but could know if I took his word seriously as my own so to but it sounds I mean he'll say things like well you know there's no exegesis without eisegesis and that sounds like uh, oh, I see Jesus. That's you know, and but he, you know, that's the worst thing of all. And and he, but what he means by that is faith, not not arbitrary, idiosyncratic. Uh, I see Jesus, but coming at it with my full being. He said, no one can understand anything unless one is willing to stand. But for what, nothing, no one can understand that for which he does not stand. You know, so he, I mean, he's talking about participation. He's also trying to overcome this this false and uh, the pretense of objectivity that so many modern scholars had. And so that's another thing. I mean, he, he, this idea of neutrality that these, that so many of the, you know, these scholars had and still have, I guess, uh, he just, he sort of mocks this and he says, neutrality is a decision of unbelief. You think it, I mean, neutrality, being an unattached, objective uh, observer, spectator, without any types of, of uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, trying to, with uh, unbiased. That's the, that's, those are the criteria for uh, objectivity, for scientifically. But he mm-hmm. says, no, 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 science, to be scientific means to fidelity to the subject or to, 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 the, to the object by which they're talking about it. So that's what he's talking about when he talks about participation. You know, it, this, and, and this is why somebody like a Hans, Hans Gail Gadamer, I don't know if you know that name, but prop, wrote probably one of the most important, prop, the most, one of the most important books in the 20th century philosophically uh, next to, I guess, Heidegger uh, being in uh, time. He wrote a book called Truth and Method. And uh, and in that book, Gadamer says that Bart's Roma brief is a hermeneutical manifesto. Because mm-hmm. what what Gadamer sees is that well, he may has this line that you may have heard says, you know this pre, you know, this idea that you're not supposed to uh, approach to be scientific, you're supposed to approach without prejudice. He says that prejudice is itself a prejudice that must be overcome. You know, and so. That's this is this is it, there's a lot to say about that, but I mean, 
he challenges these notions of objectivity. And it, but it's not that as if, and I mean, I think that's the most important thing about the change is that he his what means objectivity to him is 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 being faithful to the subject matter about which the author is speaking. Now, it doesn't mean that every author is. Uh, He's going to talk. He's going to, his hermeneutic is going to say, "I'm, I'm I want to have a hermeneutics of trust." Uh, that does not mean that every author, uh, what an author says about every particular topic, is something you can be loyal to. Mm -hmm. There is a loyalty of of uh, of dissent. I mean, you, uh, a loyal opposition. You know, if you have access, a knowledge of another object, and you see an author. I mean, this is what we do as teachers. You know, we grade papers and you think, you know, you didn't quite understand that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there is, it's not as if, but the problem th this is with the apostles and prophets, I, you know, these people who think they know Jesus better than Paul, uh, how do you get there? How'd you get so smart? <laughs> you know? uh, that's what Bartz wants to know. How'd you get, how'd you get the superior access to the mind of Christ? better than Paul. Uh, show me how you got that. You know, Bart wants to know. It makes me think about uh, that historical criticism with uh, the theological liberalism, um, understanding everything from uh, history and uh, psychology. Um, seems like, you know, you could almost do that on your own interpretation. Okay, if, if I wasn't born and raised in this context and hadn't have all these experiences, I wouldn't read these into Paul as having all, all of these contexts and all his experience and, you know, and so on and so forth forever. Um, that's, that's really interesting. You mentioned a lot about the, uh, the subject matter um, of, of the Bible. Um, when it comes to the subject matter, um, is it the whole Bible as the whole Bible is pointing to one subject matter or uh does Bart see maybe John's writing about a different subject matter than Paul, or um, is it is it all, all encompassing, or does and, and all pointing towards Christ? Or I'm, I'm guessing the uh, the cheat sheet answer is Jesus here. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, what exactly is the subject matter that uh, that Bart's going after? Yeah, it, it is Jesus Christ. It is the God who has revealed Himself in Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, and there is a lot about in your book about uh, witnessing, about that, that kind of standing next to the author, pointing at the same thing. Um, I loved, I loved that bit. Yeah, well, that goes to this whole idea of you know when uh, biblical scholars turn the you know the apostles and prophets into sources. Mm -hmm. You know that that's a fundamentally different way of approaching a biblical author than approaching the biblical author as a, a witness. Mm -hmm. A witness demands that you're going to listen to, you know, you're, the wit, the where the words point, whereas a source, well, uh, that that is a different matter. So I have a few questions for you, and, um, <laughs> and it's largely from my evangelical background, um, but where these questions come from, and more just, uh, I don't know, just curious what Bart thinks about these things. Um, I mean, you go to any church today, you likely hear the Bible referred to as the word of God. Um, and obviously, John 1, Jesus is the word of God. Um, what does Bart think about that phrase? Is the Bible the word of God? Is it only Jesus? How, how does that work, I guess? Um, no, I mean, the, 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 
for Barth, the, the issue is you've got John one, you've got, uh, you've got uh, John five, mm -hmm. uh, Jesus saying, you search the scriptures because you think you find in their eternal life, but they bear witness to me. You've got all, and then, but you've also equally got pretty clear statements that the scriptures themselves are the word of God. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we've got that throughout uh, different places in the, in the New Testament, and even preaching as being the word of God. You have that in, uh, you know, Thessalonians has a passage. I mean, there's just, there's the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. That's a quote out of the, uh, of the book of confessions of my denomination, mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, the second Helvetic uh, confession. The preaching of the word is the word of God. So you got the word of God incarnate. You got the word of God preached. You got the word of God written. So then the, it leads to the question, well, how many words of God are there? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's a pretty important question. And, yeah. and how do you escape it? You know, if you read the scriptures and, uh, and for Bart, there's only one word of God, but it has uh, a threefold form. And the word of God incarnate, the word of God written, and the word of God preached. And for him, you can't know one form of the word of God without the other two. Like the, it's like the Trinity. You know, you can't know one, uh, the, the Son apart from the Father, or Father apart from the Son, and, and the Holy Spirit apart from the Son, all, all that. Uh, so it's that course of perichoretic relationship of, of the word, uh, uh, but one word, not three. That's great. Um, so I guess in my thinking back to my undergrad, there, and we had these categories of general and special revelation. Um, general revelations, you look out and sort of Romans one, surely all, all of these things have been created by someone. Uh, there must be a God. But then you get the actual proclamation of the gospel as sort of this, this special revelation. I'm wondering um, how Bart views just revelation in general and, and sort of the canon is really interesting to me. You, you have this bit that uh, Bart sees that you can hear, you can experience revelation through, and it was a bunch of things other than just the Bible <laughs> or just preaching. It was like in nature through people, like God can reveal himself in this way. So I'm wondering just, uh, help help me fix that category of general and special revelation, I guess. You know, Corey, you, you're, you, you're interested in Bonhoeffer. You really need to understand the Barman Declaration because this yeah. is the first, particularly the first article because it's what this is all about. I mean, mm -hmm. the quote you're talking about is the famous one is about you know, God could, uh, he, he, can, he could speak to us through, uh, you know, uh, uh, a red rose, a Russian communism, a Mozart concerto, or a dead dog, he says. And if he does, we should listen. But the question is, how would you know it was God who was right. speaking? Yeah, that's and so you're going to have to have a standard, a single standard, and not. And the problem is with the, the Deutsche Christen, the Nazified Christians, is they wanted multiple standards. Mm -hmm. That's very important. Uh, and many people want today multiple standards, and uh, so there's and uh, of of revelation. And Bart does not have multiple standards; he has one. It's uh, Jesus Christ, and it's and it's through Jesus Christ that you know that we understand uh, 
God, um, the, the creator. It's through the God, the God, the redeemer, like Calvin, that we understand God, the creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not uh, that we understand the creator first and then we understand the redeemer. That's not the, that's not Calvin. Yeah. That's not Barth. Mm-hmm. That's not the best of the reformed tradition. Right. Wow. That's great. Um, so in the uh, sort of the criticism that you, you listed your book of, the pushback that Bart gets on his Roman, Roman uh, commentary is that uh, there's more Bart than there is Paul or, or more Bart than there is Romans that he's sort of reading in his contemporary situation into the text. Um, so what did Bart think about this criticism? What was the, what was his response to that? Um, how was that true? Not true. Well, I mean, I, I'm sure Bart, uh, un, I mean, Bart understood he's full of himself, like all of us, and we we sure. we, we read things in that uh, we ought not to. Uh, but uh, you know, he was he and he wanted, you know, if, if he wanted the people to, uh, if we can say, if we can understand Paul better, then let's do it and uh, show me show where this is wrong, show where what I've said is wrong, and so he would, uh, you know, so, and he was so he was prepared for the, the kind of give and take that you and his criticism of his the legitimate criticism of what he was doing but what he wanted to uh you know he was very frustrated with so many of these critics who would just want to hack off parts of paul and say well that's just you know that's just his own you know his you know uh, judaism speaking out here we or this is his own culture there you know and just being able to explain away these things in part was saying no no you know not so fast Hmm. Hmm. so you know he's wanting to talk you know he he wants to have as few left parts left over when you're interpreting an author like paul and not just have all these parts left over. You don't know what to do with. And you're just going to focus on these. This is what I like, you know, and that's, or this is what I can appreciate. Uh, you know, that's, that's uh, too easy. And that's, it's sloppy for bar. It's not rigorous. Hmm. Try to figure out, I mean, if you're going to tell, you know, uh, that mean, you know, that that's not going to mean for Bart that I'm going to understand all the parts, but I have to, I mean, this is an ancient hermeneutical standard is you interpret the parts in light of the whole. And, you know, you can't understand the parts unless you have a sense of the whole. Let's admit that we have this a sense of the whole when we come to the text and you're at least we're trying to find a sense of the whole or uh, that that should be the goal. I mean, that the goal is we want to interpret uh, any book in light of what it's about. I mean, it's like, you know, people who want to read Moby Dick as if it's about whales. I mean, right. you can do that if you want to. But uh, is that really what Moby Dick is about? <laughs> that's a good question. Um, that's great. Thank you. Um, so I want to shift gears here. We don't have too much time together. I wanted to, oh, I don't want to take too much more of your time. And you've been really generous so, just to do this. So thank you. Um, I wanted to get to some of the practical bits. Um, so you have served as a pastor. Um, let's say someone is walks into the door first time in church. 
has a Bible and says, all right, well, where do I start? What do I do with this thing? And you want to teach them um, how to read the Bible like, like Bart, like I, I, I imagine you do. Um, well, I mean, I don't know about that. I don't want to, I just want them to read the Bible and right. uh, understand it. And uh, so I'm not trying to get them to anybody to read. Sure. I mean, Bart didn't want to read the Bible like Bart. I mean, that's, the, you know, he didn't want to read, you know, he just wants to be honest and as honest as he can about what's there mm-hmm. and to read it. So, uh, so I don't try to get people, I mean, I, people come in the door. I mean, I, I mean, that I don't, I'm not interested in, in getting them to understand Bart. Yeah. Reading like Bart, but I do, I'm, I'm aware that uh, what Bart does is help people. You know, there's a lot of temptations that we have, particularly in, as modern people. And when we come to the text and so knowing Bart, you're aware of these temptations, the, these uh, sweet little people come in with and they think they're so innocent or naive or 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 their own. Uh, I mean, they, it can be very sophisticated people. It can be very, uh, you know, I'm just a layman kind of person. And all of us have these uh, prejudices and presuppositions we come to the text with. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bart's very helpful in in. Uh, foregrounding those i grow that's not a good word of uh letting us know that there you know we have ways in the, of of trying to uh ignore or mm-hmm. to defend ourselves against what the bible says mm-hmm. and bart's saying you know he wants to he wants to i think it's important for pastors that's why i think pastors need to study this is because you know, these people that we come into the church don't know necessarily all these theories, but that doesn't mean that they don't have plenty of them when they come to the text. Mm-hmm. That's great. And yeah, I was sharp instruments oftentimes. I mean, yeah, I, I figured you were, uh, people weren't walking through the door and you're going to be like, okay, so there's a Swiss theologian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I more just meant like someone yeah. new to the Bible. Like, where, where do I open it? Should I? should I first seek to understand who wrote this and why they wrote this? Is there a certain point where I should stop asking those historical questions and, and just jump in to, to the text? Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. it seems like it's a combination of both. Huh? Like you, you have to understand the context a little bit, but be there with the author. Right. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I, um, I think they've got to understand, you know, what it says on its own terms Sure. And then trying to understand those terms, I think it's going to lead to inquisitive people are going to wonder uh, why is, you know, why is he, does he just say that there? Or in, and it says that there. And, uh, you know, so that those, you know, it evokes all kinds of uh, questions. It, and, uh, you know, it just depends. You see, I think that, 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 uh, that essay, The New World of the Bible, you know, when he talks about, you know, people can come at it and they come at it and they have, oh, they think it's about morality. So you can try that if you want to. Mm. If that's what you think the Bible's about, then you're going to be in some real surprises. About, <laughs> yeah. and, and then if you think it's about what, uh, you know, uh, m- m- uh, religion, oh, that's going to, yeah, there's plenty of religion in the Bible. You can read it about that if you want to, too. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you're going to fall short. You, you're not going to be able to explain a lot in it if that's all you think it is. Or a history. You know, you can look at, and remember that line, I don't, if you said you read that, he said, you know, the Bible gives as much as a person to a person as, as they, uh, as they give, you know, mm-hmm. 
so you have to give, how much are you willing to give of yourself to understand this? Yeah. How much are you willing to give to, to understand a person, another person sometimes? Right. There's some things you can't, and this is what Bart's claim is, you know, there's some things you can't understand apart from the right presuppositions. There's certain things you can't understand apart from love. Hmm. Well, I've had two more for you. Uh, one is just, the first one, I'm, I'm just wondering, did you always read the Bible like this? Uh, when you came to the Bible, was it like Bart, you, you, you came from, you, like you said, you, you started reading Bart pretty early on. Um, did that shape that? Was there a transition from reading in sort of this modern way and then discovering Bart and then trying to like figure out <laughs> what to take and what to leave when it comes to your Bible reading? Uh, Corey, I mean, I'm a son of the manse. My father was a pastor. I grew up in churches. I used I hear would hear people all my life say, "Oh, I mean, I heard this in my throughout my youth. Oh, that's just Paul. We like Jesus, yeah, you know. Yep. Uh, and <laughs> I, I you know, you hear this stuff growing up, and you think, well, wonder what that's about, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, I mean, I just grew up in the church, and I hear people say things about, and you know, I. And so, yeah, well, I mean, uh, so, you know, the more I would read it, the Bible is throughout my youth, uh, I would read it. And then I, you know, and I got these tools, these really wonderful tools of historical criticism when I was in college. And, and so, I mean, I, I just, I didn't know where else to go except Bart. Bart was a great help to me hmm. and still is. That's great. Uh, well, one quick follow up on that, I guess. What what's the benefit of reading the Bible this way? Like, what, what do you think if you had to say like this is the way to go? And here's why. Um, I, I guess just to round out the pitch <laughs> for why Bart's Bart's way of understanding Romans, the way of reading the Bible, is so revolutionary and so helpful. Um, yeah, Corey, I, I've been reading the Bible every day, most every day of my life since I was a teenager mm-hmm. and uh and it's not any easier and i mean in some ways i mean it, it's you know <laughs> uh it's sometimes pretty hard it's rough i mean and bart talks about this i mean i was a pastor and this is what bart says is the he calls it the double assault you know as a pastor you know you got the bible in one hand and you read it and if you read it right, it usually is going to assault you a good bit. And then you got to tell the people what it says. And then they're going to assault you for telling them what it says. <laughs> so, you know, you're doing, you got this going on. And, and yeah. I don't know. How, so, I mean, if you, I just, if you're going to be, if you're committed to reading it, uh, the Bible, in uh, uh, the, ben- <laughs> the benefit is, uh, I guess, is that the question? What's the benefit? Yeah, uh, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, uh, it helps me. It, I mean, I, it, the benefit is, I, mean, I don't know. I wouldn't know what to do. Where mm-hmm. else? I mean, to whom shall we go? They, you know, the disciples said to Jesus, I don't know where else to go. <laughs> That's great. Um, all right. Well, I have one last fun question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you were trapped on a desert island and you were only allowed one book by Bart, um, to take with you, um, and it can't be all of the church dogmatics. You can take a volume if if it's in a book, a bound book version, because that's cheating. Um, and one, you can bring one book about Bart. So any secondary source. What two books are you taking, and why? 
Oh, that's a rough question, Corey. Very <laughs> rough. I'm just trying to get uh, book recommendations. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I have a hard time with that. I, um, I, you know, I, I have to say that uh, there's a real drama about 2-1 when mm -hmm. Bart's writing that. I mean, he's writing that under the most desperate circumstances I can imagine. And, uh, and to think that he could focus and to write what he did in uh, that. And so, I mean, and so that's, I love that one. There's a, there's a, um, so two, one. When was that written? I think what's going well, on. Well, I mean, he's, he, I mean, this is in the 1930s in the, mid, okay. in the midst of the, of the battle. I mean, he, I mean, he doesn't know what's going to happen to him and you know, or his family. It's sure. just high drama in the world. I mean, it's in a, and to think that he could write with such a focus and such a, and just brilliant. I mean, it, it just is, is very moving. That's great. All right. Uh, and your secondary source. No, oh, I, you know, I hadn't, I'm, if I say one, I'm going to offend friends. So I better not say, <laughs> I got too many friends who've written books about Bart that I don't want to say the one that they're, uh, yeah, I can't, I don't know. You can give me a few. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm making a list. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I, I wish I'd, I wish I knew when I, you know, if being on a desert Island, I don't know, my goodness. I don't know. I'll have to think about that more. Oh, good. Well, thank you so much for doing this again. The, uh, the book is Karl Barth's Theological Exegesis, The Hermeneutical Principles of the Roman Brief Period by Richard Burnett. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, you have given me so much to think about. Um, I might, I'll probably follow up with email questions as, I, as they come up, just thinking about them. But um, thank you for being so generous with your time and, and being willing to do this. This is a lot of fun. Good. Lord bless you, Corey. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carl Bart Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review in your podcast app. It will help others find the show. And if you have any feedback or questions, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. The handle is at Bart Podcast. That's all for me now. I'm excited to keep learning with you all. And I appreciate you listening. See you next month.